When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, and also insight and analysis into all the subjects you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry, and with me, as always, is Duncan Castles. And we have a packed pod for you again today, of course, because the window is wide open and getting to a point where uh, it's about to close. And so things are getting a little bit hot as well as uh, panicked in the market. And uh, Duncan, um, quite interesting development with regards to the competition between two um, Premier League clubs with regards to a winger uh, and one which has won over uh, the other, um, leaving one club and specifically quite a tempestuous manager unhappy with uh, the outcome. Uh, Fill us in on what's been going on. Well, Antonio Conte unhappy, but also Daniel Levy and Fabio Paratici unhappy that they have missed out on Luis Diaz, um, a player we flagged up on the podcast a month ago that Liverpool were looking at to strengthen their attack, um, player who would be a natural replacement for Sadio Mane, um, as regular listeners will know, someone that Liverpool have considered selling if the right number comes in for him for some time now. Um, we told you in December that Liverpool had been in contact with the player. Uh, we also told you that Porto were, would be difficult to deal with and did not want to sell in, in the, this window. Specifically, their coach, Sergio Conceição, did not want to lose Luis Diaz because he's generally considered to be the best player in Portugal at present. Um, Scored 14 goals in 18 Portuguese league appearances this season, two and six in the Champions League. 25 years of old, just turned 25 this month, Colombia International. Um, he had a release clause of 80 million euros. The conversations that Liverpool were having with Porto um, during this window were that they would not go above 40 million as a guaranteed fee for the player. Um, in this particular transfer window. They stuck with that for a long time, which allowed Tottenham to work on the deal separately. Um, Tottenham thought they had the player tied down. Uh, in fact, they told people involved in the deal that they had the, the agreement of the player to come to the Premier League and were just trying to negotiate an acceptable fee for Porto. Um, they made the best offer of, of several offers they made was 45 million euros plus 15 in bonuses. Liverpool decided um, yesterday to match that offer 
uh, and to improve the conditions in which the bonuses are paid. I, I'm told that those 15 million euros are uh, on such easy conditions that Porto are effectively guaranteed the 60 million euros for the player. Uh, they'll have to pay 20% of that back to Atletico Junior, the club they, they signed him from in 2019. Conce sounds not happy. Uh, Porto tried to retain him for the rest of the season. Um, but Luis Gias said he wanted to come to Liverpool immediately and Porto eventually accepted that. Uh, I'm told there's been a lot of grumbling from um, Daniel Levy and Fabio Paratici about this. They've been accusing um, George Mendes and Jesse Futi, who were representing Porto in the deal of using them to get a higher price um, for the transfer. That um, uh, accusation is being rejected from the, the Portuguese end. The, um, there's a further complication here in that uh, the former Porto sports director, Antero Enrique, was one of the representatives in the deal. And I'm told Pini Zahavi was also working on the deal for Tottenham. And Levy was confident that Zahavi, who he's done a lot of business with in the past, would be able to secure the player for him. But ultimately, because they didn't have the deal they thought and they were telling people they had with the player, um, Liverpool were able to match and slightly better their offer and give the player the choice of where he wanted to go. And the player, not surprisingly, chose to go for the club who uh, who have won a Premier League recently, won a Champions League recently, and um, and are basically guaranteed Champions League football next season. Um, other kind of interesting elements in here are that Barcelona were interested in signing the player and, and involved in some discussions over the past week. Um, and also that Tottenham initially were trying to do a deal which paired Luis Diaz with Zaidu Sanusi, the Nigerian left back at Porto. So they were talking about a joint deal in the first place, but eventually backed out of the, the Zaidu um, element of that move. Um, it's not a good look for Fabio Paratici. If you go back to the podcast we did when Paratici came in as um, effectively sports director, at Tottenham, we talked about how he'd basically been kicked out of Juventus um, by Max Allegri, uh, Allegri wanting Paratici to leave as a condition of returning to the club and, and asked some questions about how effective he would be in the market. He had a lot of problems um, trying to secure a manager for them, uh, that, that kind of comedy of errors where they, they offered the position and agreed deals with a number of coaches and then had to withdraw them. Um, he eventually managed to secure Antonio Conte, which was considered to be a, a huge success to get a coach of that status in during the season. But as we told you on the podcast at the time, Conte came on condition and on expectation that Tottenham would spend aggressively in the market to build a team that would be capable of competing for the Premier League and the Champions League. Um, he's not seeing that happening. And I, and I think you only have to go and have a look at some of the things that Conte has been saying in recent press conferences about the quality of the squad, uh, about the necessity to improve that squad uh, to get a sense of what he feels about their recruitment and this failure, losing um, one of the top players available in the European market to a, effectively a direct rival it is not going to go down well with Conte. Um, one other element is I'm told that Liverpool 
expect to raise around 40 million euros from the sale of two players before the end of this window and are and advanced in those discussions. I think the players in question, you should be looking at Takumi Minamino, um, Divok Origi, if they can get a transfer fee for him, and Nat Phillips, who has been of interest to Newcastle United in their own um, Paratici-like search for uh, defensive recruits in this window. It is um, intriguing that Liverpool have a lot of player wide players um, already, and uh, the recruitment of another one seems to be um, not indulgent, but certainly uh, ambitious, uh, and also the fact uh, that, uh, as you say, um, certain players like Minamino who came in and was lauded as some kind of uh, amazing uh, rabbit out of the hat move by Jurgen Klopp has not succeeded in establishing himself in the team. Um, But at the same time, this is the January window, which we know is an an extremely difficult month to buy players. it's just interesting that they're willing to spend the amount of money uh, on a player uh, at this point, especially when they're so far behind Manchester City in terms of the Premier League. Well, I, th- I think it's simple. You look at Liverpool's recruitment, they're strategic about it. We've discussed in this podcast many times how that entire um, front line that they have is entering their 30s. Um, you have... Uh, Mo Salah demanding the richest contract that Liverpool have ever paid. He's moved from a position where he was trying to get himself out to Spanish football in particular, um, to one in which he is pressuring the club to give him the money he wants to sign an extension. Um, They identified Luis Diaz as a player they could bring in to refresh that attack. I think Minamino was someone they, they, they they could sign at a very controlled price. Um, by exercising a release clause. He's done a reasonable job for them. Um, he has a very good scoring rate per, per chances available. Um, he will look good on analytics measures at the moment. And, and I think that is why they will be able to sell him uh, probably to another Premier League club in the remaining days of this window and bank a profit on that deal. So they, so they win both ways. We should also add that Tottenham not only failed on Luis Gias, they failed on Adama Traore. Um, they did eventually make an offer for the player. Um, someone they had discussions with Wolves over in the summer window when Nuno Espirito Santo wanted him to come and Espirito Santo felt that Tottenham hadn't been serious in, in concluding a deal when it was available to be done. On this occasion, they have been um, gazumped by Barcelona. Again, something we mentioned on the podcast that Adama Traore was expecting Barcelona to come in for him in this window and his preference would be to go there. And he's demonstrated that by taking a huge pay cut to go to Barcelona. I'm told he will effectively be paid nothing um, for the remainder of this season in order to allow himself to be added to their squad with the the promise that 
Barcelona will turn the deal into a permanent 30 million euro transfer in the summer and he will have his salary made up to an acceptable level at that point. Um, Tottenham offered at the, the highest point 20 million euros plus 5 million in performance related bonuses. Um, they were, however, only able to say to Adama that you will be playing as a right wing back in Antonio Conte's system, whereas Adama had Xavi coming to him and saying, I, I will play you as a winger. And obviously you have the chance to come back to Barcelona, the club he he developed, grew up in before moving to English football. Chowdhury seems to me to be the epitome of um, that wonderful football cliche as being mercurial in terms of his performances, um, brilliant uh, in some ways, but uh, his end product in terms of uh, final ball um, has been questionable, to say the least. Uh, I just find it a bit odd that Barcelona are willing to take that chance, uh, despite the players' obvious talent and quality but um, as I said if there's no end product then there is a certain question mark over whether or not he's going to be worth the money Yeah, his goals and assists numbers are not what you'd expect from the player Um, he has some of the best figures in terms of beating players one-on-one and any player in European football and, uh, and I guess Barcelona are banking on being able to add that end product to his game. He's also, I think, pretty different from what they've got. So it adds a, a different dimension to their game. And, and having been brought up in the Barcelona system should adapt relatively well to, to what Xavi wants. Um, and although there is the promise there that this will become a permanent deal in the summer, I'm told it is not actually um, contractually agreed that it will definitely move to Barcelona in the summer. The, the expectation on the player side is that will happen. The expectation on the club side is that has happened. But Barcelona do have a get out, and Traore um, with uh, well, you'll be one year left on his contract in the summer. Um, well, if Barcelona decide not to make it permanent, would be in a better negotiating position to to choose his next club. I was talking to um, Will's fan and season ticket holder um, when uh, they visited Brighton recently and he was expressing his frustration that Traore didn't start games uh, and he just found it completely uh, mystified by the fact that a player who's one of their best and most talented players didn't get a chance uh, every week to start games. Um, I'm, a, I get, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm supposing that uh, that's being offered by Barcelona um, because obviously Traore. Uh, wants to play 90 minutes and doesn't want to just go on at 60 or 70 minutes into a game and try to be an impact sub. Well, he's been 
selective about where he goes next. Leeds United made a substantial offer for him in the summer. He didn't even want to talk to Leeds United as he felt that wasn't a step up in his career. I don't think you can argue with his his um, deployment at Wolves, where he's played about half the started about half the Premier League games this season, and that Wolves are a team in excellent form at present, playing good football, who are not very far away. Um, from getting themselves into the the Champions League places, um, if their their games in hand go well, if when they play Arsenal head to head, they would leap a, above them potentially um, on on this season's results so far. So I think Bruno Lage, the decision he's been he's been making, and the way he has the team playing, it's been working for the club. Um, so it's a difficult argument to say. He, he should be he should have been using Adama every game because he didn't use him every game and and uh, the results have been coming very true Newcastle United are a team who we've talked a lot about in, in the last few podcasts Duncan um and their uh, policies and the fact that they have um changed their attitude um from being uh, largely cautious about spending um huge amounts of money on transfers in the January window to throwing money at uh the window because they need to stay up and funnily enough as we predicted <laughs> they have shown uh that that is certainly the case um, how good is Gamarish? Well, not their first choice for the position, Bruno Gamarish, but a player that they have managed to 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 bring in. They ideally they wanted to have this central midfielder, you know, number six who can play to an extent as a box to box midfielder. In in the first week of the transfer window, they're doing it. If everything goes well with the medical in the last week of the transfer window, they're paying Leon a guaranteed 42.5 million euros with another 8 million euros, I understand, if they stay up this season. Um, I asked one particular transfer market specialist what he felt about the deal. He said, look, Gimaraish is a is an elegant player. He's a, he's a good midfielder. I'm. He said he wasn't sure whether he's the right fit for the Premier League, um, whether he'll work uh, in terms of intensity of the midfield in the Premier League, so that's going to be an interesting test for them. And he said absolutely overpriced. They've they've paid way way over market value um, for the player. But we expected this to happen. We've detailed in previous podcasts how this has happened with the the recruitment team. They've managed to leave themselves with um, with non specialists and no one. No one in it experienced at handling this level of the market before. Um, they still haven't got a centre back in. Um, they're now making, as we told you in previous podcast, offers on multiple players at the same time. One of the offers they've put in is to Brighton and Hove Albion for uh, one of their centre backs, Dan Byrne, which has been rejected by Brighton, who um, feel that an offer of, I think it's £7 million is way below market value, even for someone who will be out, out of contract at Brighton in um, under 18 months' time. Again, 
Um, I'm told they've offered to double his wages, which has been pretty typical of their, their strategy of late, doubling, sometimes nearly trebling um, wages in order to convince players to come. Um, left back, they are pushing for Mitchell Backer, um, who joined Leverkusen in the summer in an, an initial 7 million euro deal from Paris Saint-Germain, 21-year-old. Um, they are still working on Duvan Zapata, who wants to come to Newcastle, has agreed personal terms. I think they can get that deal done if they put enough money on the table to Atalanta, which is a difference from Diego Carlos um, at Sevilla, um, who was their second choice at centre-back with Sevilla sports director Monchi coming out and, and stating that the fee that Newcastle have got to for the Brazilian centre-back wasn't acceptable at this point in the window. Um, there are a number of other players they're looking at um, on their centre-back list. Some of the names that have been mentioned to me, Joe Roden at Tottenham, who I, I think it would be difficult to see him as the kind of experienced, ready-made centre-back uh, they were looking for when they, they entered into this window. We mentioned Jason Denier at Lyon previously, Benoit Badiashili at Monaco. They also have an interest in Mark Cowan, Galatasaray, um, and uh, Lisandro Martinez, the Argentina centre-back at Ajax. Though I think um, he's probably out of the league. Ajax would look at over 50 million euros for the player who signed a new contract in October. And they tell me they haven't made an offer to them as yet. Um, Still trying on Jesse Lingard, Manchester United making that one difficult um, because they're asking for a bigger fee than Newcastle feel is reasonable. They have a lot of work left to do in these last few days of the window. Um, they seem to be a bit more confident about survival after having beaten um, Leeds United in that kind of do or die game they played before the international break. But um, I think... Uh, I think if they get carried away by that result and, and feel that they, that they can get away with doing less in this market off the back of it, it could be very dangerous for them. Well, it certainly is. I mean, they were in a perilous position and continue to be. Um, Eddie Howe's arrival has not so far made much of a difference. Although it's interesting to hear you say about a player who uh, wants to come to Newcastle because that's not something which has been very common in the last 18 months uh, given their position, etc. Uh, with regards to Dan Byrne, um, he is uh, a regular um, first-team starter for Brighton. But uh, with Ben White leaving um, for Arsenal, obviously, last summer, um, and the fact that he was playing left wing back for quite some time, which he did not enjoy, even though he was quite successful in it, um, Veltman can play centre-back and obviously dunk and Duffy and Webster are there. So you do have a pool of four centre-backs, potentially. Uh, therefore, Byrne could leave. And, of course, Byrne is 
a native of Newcastle and they're offering, as you said, double his wages. Uh, so that looks like a deal which possibly uh, could be done but may go to the last day of the market. Um, Tony Bloom being a very uh, should operator um, and he knows that Newcastle have got money Therefore, the £7 million bid, which is currently on the table, um, seems quite paltry uh, for a player who is a first-team regular in the Premier League. Uh, therefore, I, I would suspect that there's going to be a bit of brinkmanship with regards to whether Burn goes or not. Although my understanding is that the player does, um, or at least would like to go to Newcastle United, where he feels he will be a start, starting player in central defence for them. should also mention um, that Amanda Stavely is under additional pressure because of the legal action that Mike Ashley has taken against her. On the last podcast, we mentioned that um, Ashley wasn't happy with the way she'd been some of the ways she'd been running the club since since taking over as uh, in that uh, management um, role that uh, PIF gave her uh, upon the the Saudi um, sovereign wealth fund buying eighty percent of the club with ten percent um, going to Staveley. Um Some of the detail I've been given on on that action is that um, Ashley feels that. Uh, that Stavely um, was responsible for public criticism towards him in some of the comments she made post the takeover. In particular, there's a, a quote uh, that she made in November when she said, the sports direct signs I'm looking forward to coming down. It's a slight frustration when I go into the stadium and I try and take a picture which doesn't have sports direct in it. Um, the argument on Ashley's side is that he had wanted protection from public criticism. Um, of his time in charge of the of the club um, from the new owners or um, or future managers of Newcastle United, and he feels that what Stavely had said here and elsewhere is a breach of that. I'm also told that there was a non contractual agreement that the Sports Direct sign would stay up for the course and remainder of this season. So when uh, Newcastle took them down in December that Ashley suffered a significant marketing loss um, in terms of having that uh, basically or close to free advertising at St James's Park whenever they played games. Um, Stavely's lawyers have, uh, have told her that they expect to win the case um, but it is an un, certainly an unwelcome extra pressure on her while Saudi Arabia are making a judgment on her ability to run the club. We've told you um, when that uh, takeover went into effect that the, the management contract that her and her husband, um, Merdad Kodusi, hold could be broken at any point by PF, PIF should they decide that they want someone else running the club. She's obviously going to be judged on the, the effectiveness of this transfer window. Um, and it's interesting that Ashley has taken legal action, I'm told, not against Newcastle United as a club, but against Staveley and Gudusi as individuals. 
um, and also talked about the uh, the ten million pound loan he gave to Staveley in order to facilitate the takeover in in the first place. It's slightly ironic that um, Mike Ashley should be so sensitive about criticism from, <laughs> about his ownership and stewardship of Newcastle United and is now acting on that in well, terms of legal action. I, talking, talking to someone who is familiar with this situation, their argument was that Mike Ashley is not sensitive about this at all. Um, Mike Ashley is taking an opportunity in their view that has been granted to him by the actions of Amanda Staveley and Newcastle United post takeover in order to take legal action against her and to embarrass her. That is, the, is his view of what's going on here. It's not a matter of being sensitive. The marketing loss is important to him, but it's an opportunity um, to make life difficult for uh, someone who's who's been perceived as the saviour of Newcastle United, and and I think being quite happy to be perceived as the saviour of Newcastle United upon uh, upon taking over the club. I'm sure Michael invite her out for a eight pounds ninety five lasagna at some point uh, down by the river town. Um, so we we shall see. The Evertonian uh, managerial situation continues to rumble on Duncan. Uh, we understand that there were a final round of interviews today um, with uh, the potential candidates. Um, two of them were conducted in London, one uh, with Frank Lampard, the other with Vitor Pereira. Uh, Duncan Ferguson also being considered as becoming permanent manager. Um, however, it does seem to be the case that um, there is some scepticism amongst at least two of the candidates about taking the job uh, on the basis that there is uh, a dysfunctional relationship between the people who own the club and uh, those who make decisions or want to make decisions. I look. I, I was talking to uh, a leading European coach last week about this, and and asked him what he thought of that job opportunity, and he said it it looks like a very very dangerous job to take at present. Um, the club has been underperforming for a long time. The wage bill is way over what it should be in terms of quality of, of players that are there. They, um, in my view, stupidly appointed Rafa Benitez and, and it came to its inevitable conclusion at a stage where they are now in danger of being relegated to the, the championship. They need to turn things around. They're getting dragged into that, that relegation battle. Um, there, there is not a clear uh, management directorial structure at the club. Uh, there hasn't been for a long time. A lot of money has been spent in the wrong way, not just on on players, not just on coaches, but there's also question marks about the the investment 
in the club and the investment in the the new stadium. Um, and I think serious financial doubts around the the entire football club and whether to what extent they're able to fund themselves, to what extent they're able to provide ammunition to the the next manager coming in in order to to get them to where they're supposed to be. And remember, this is this was supposed to be a, a project where they turned Everton into proper uh, European top table club who would be competing and obtaining on a regular basis a Champions League slot and uh, and if everything went well down the line fighting for the Premier League title they're so far away from that it is a joke and, and I think if I if I was involved in any of those interviews I'd be asking very hard questions about the the management and uh, the organization of the club as to where they are at present and what they're what they're capable of of presenting the candidate with as a as a basis from which to work from. I'd agree with that. Um... Brighton Hove Albion have been impressing a lot of people with the way that they have gone about both their playing style and their business this season and obviously having sold Ben White to Arsenal for £50 million uh, in now have interest in certainly two or three of their players um, from bigger clubs. You mentioned before about Dan Byrne and Newcastle United but Eve Basuma who we reported on the pod before had been the subject of interest from Liverpool in the summer. Um, there has been um, another offer of interest uh, from a different Premier League club in him, uh, even though he's playing for Mali in the African Cup of Nations. Um, what do you make of that? I mean, it, do you, do you believe that Basuma will succumb to leaving Brighton or wait for a better offer from a club which might be a Champions League um, contender? Well, again, he's, he's one of a number of players in the Premier League who are doing well and whose contract is in a, a delicate stage in that he has a a year left at the end of the season, understand that Brighton would be interested in extending that deal and have made attempts to extend the deal, which Busuma has resisted so far. Um, my understanding is that there was a, an inquiry and an, an informal offer from Aston Villa for the player, which is interesting given that Aston Villa are currently um deciding what they do with Douglas Louise, who again is out of contract in, in 2023 and of interest to stronger um, clubs in the division. Um, and Basuma, I think, would be an upgrade on, on the player if, if, if he continues to perform in the way he has done over the last couple of seasons. Douglas Louise has done well, but um, probably Basuma's a level up. I think it is difficult for 
Busuma, if he chooses Aston Villa, whether Steven Gerrard, for example, is able to persuade him it was the right club to go to, it might be difficult to extract himself from Brighton because Brighton's policy has tended to be that they will sell, but only to clubs that are out of their sphere in the Premier League table. Um, so a Champions League, a true Champions League contender, if Liverpool were to make the same offer, then Brighton would be um, open to selling at the right price. But Arsenal have been trying very uh, hard to um, recru- uh, recruit and strengthen their squad in the January window. And with so little time left, it seems that they um, are not uh, certainly uh, going to be able to do that. Um, Dusan Vlajevic of Fiorentina has agreed and, in fact, as we understand, is currently taking a medical at Juventus uh, transfer. Artemelo as well, a player they were very, very interested in, but they have not got very close to signing him either. I think... I think the move for Vlaovic was an intelligent one. They they needed to upgrade their attack. They have that huge problem with Pierre America Bamiyang. Um, they identified a player who is one of the top strikers in terms of performance and, and I think potential in European football. Someone who's considered would probably be second choice to Erling Haaland for a lot of clubs in the summer window. They 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 knew that Fiorentina um, were ready to sell. Uh, because Vlaovic was running down his contract, another player who was contracted until 2023. Um, Fiorentina's owner, Rocco Camiso, had offered him the best contract in the club's history to stay and he had refused to sign and deal with him. So Comiso had come to the conclusion that he needed to sell um, and he valued the player at 75 million euros. Arsenal tried to do the deal and what that resulted in was provoking Juventus, who would like to have signed ideally the player in the summer, um, to offer first a cash plus player deal, um, the Sweden international Dejan Kulusevski to Fiorentina and ultimately to pay the 75 million that that Fiorentina were asking for. And um, Arsenal simply lost out to the status of the club. Uh, We have Vlaovic's agent, Darko Rustic, talk being asked about why Vlaovic had chosen Juventus and his his response was Juventus are always Juventus. I don't think you can criticise Arsenal for trying here and I think they were always second favourites and and had they waited till the summer, probably far down the line in in, in terms of favourites. Artur Melo, that was a more complicated and I think risky deal. extremely high salary at Juventus, um, 8.5 million euros net, plus a a 1 million euro bonus if he plays 75% of the games, which he was very unlikely to do at Juventus, never achieved. Juventus wanted him off the books in order to to cut their wage bill, but they were asking Arsenal to take an 18-month loan rather than a six-month loan, and ideally with with an option to buy involved. I'm told that deal is as it stands off 
um, and that Artur will not be going to Arsenal. So um, they need to to look elsewhere for that uh, midfield upgrade and, and need to rethink what they're going to do at striker. Well, Flavich is certainly um, was, is one of the most sought after players um, after Haaland in European football. So no surprise that um, he was in demand and chose to stay in Syria and move from Fiorentina to Juventus. So uh, it's a shame. It's been great to see him play in, in the English Premier League, but that's the way things are. He's still a very young player, so we shall see. We've come to the end of the, the podcast for today, and therefore it's time for Hero and Villain. And uh, Duncan, I believe you have a villain for us. Yeah, um, the Transfer Window podcast for first venture into NFTs, which are becoming incredibly popular <laughs> with, uh, with Premier League and other footballers at present. Um, villain of the Week, Luke Shaw, uh, who put his exclusive NFTs, as he described them, um, on his social media account yesterday um, on sale, uh, minted by a company uh, called Sport NFT. Uh, and uh, as he described it, he is... Well, he asked the question, are you ready to own a piece of my digital legacy with my first ever NFT collection? Um, pushed some of those images online. I was disappointed to see, but maybe, maybe they're, they're coming um, further down the line that it, it didn't involve uh, Luke Shaw looking multiple kilos overweight while on holiday in Ibiza in 2018. But um, Or even a kebab shop. <laughs> But uh, maybe that's uh, another market to be exploited down the line by the, the what, these avaricious footballers who want to to push N NFTs to their, their fans. Do you want to just explain to some of our listeners who are not familiar with the term NFT? I think um, if you're not familiar with it, I would advise having a listen to Roger Mitchell's recent podcast on uh Web 3.0, where he talks uh, and interviews one of the leading experts on, on non-fungible tokens and how they're being used in the digital world. Um, but essentially, you're buying a bit of blockchain, which has, a, in this case, an image associated with it. Um, you become the unique owner of that bit of blockchain and you can sell it to others. And the, the idea is that you're, um, you're buying a piece of art that will hopefully appreciate in value. Uh, and that's that's been the pitch um, for these footballers who obviously have a massive platform in order to to punt this new form of sports memorabilia to their fans uh, with the the implicit promise that they can they can make money by buying them. And uh, Leo Messi has also been indulging in this uh, from. Uh, what I have been reading in terms of producing artworks uh, which are just simply digital uh, images and then selling them 
So uh, clearly it's going to be something that we're going to see a lot of in the future. Well, John Terry um, was one, I think, of the first um, former Premier League footballers to get involved. He's had to um, change one of his MFT uh, images, um, which is quite interesting because they're supposed to be non-changeable. Um, why course, why yes. has it had to be changed? Because it includes uh, images of UEFA and Premier League trophies, which are the intellectual property of UEFA and the Premier League. And uh, they have objected to the idea that he's selling those images um, for his own benefit. But it, it kind of makes you ask some fundamental questions of what are you actually buying it? Is it a, a supposedly immutable and unique image or are you actually just buying a bit of digital code? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't resist supplementing your villain uh, nomination with uh, Gianni Infantino who this week addressed uh, an international committee uh, explaining uh, the idea of a biannual World Cup and claiming that um, in doing so it would benefit um, and perhaps save lives of the poor people who get into boats and try to escape war-torn uh, or economically deprived countries uh, in order to um, improve their lives because the World Cup would bring um, financial equity to them when in actual fact, as we all know, FIFA's sole, uh, it seems, uh, motivation is to uh, make money for themselves uh, and therefore it's, it's almost insulting uh, for uh, Infantino, who controls a huge uh, cash flow, uh, billions of pounds, in fact, um, and not invest it on um, trying to improve the lives of people that he says uh, a biannual World Cup would improve. So um, I'm just, well, I just want to give him a dishonorable mention uh, in, t in this case. Uh, as for Hero, um, again, slightly controversial uh, in terms of the principle, but Sadio Mane, who um, suffered a dreadful um, head injury in the African Nations and uh, was concussed but decided that he wanted to play on. And the only reason I say he's a hero is not because of that, it's because of the fact that he scored an absolute perler of a goal um, in that game against Ecuador. And uh, he was eventually substituted, not eventually, not that long after actually, because it was clear that he was suffering uh, as a result of that challenge uh, with the goalkeeper, um, but still played on, scored a goal, um, 
and reminded me, Duncan, and we've talked about this once in the podcast before, of the old John Lambie quote when he, uh, when he was coach of Partick Thistle and one of his players was um, having to have smelling salts because he was concussed and Lambie's advice was uh, forget that, just tell him, tell him he's to get up and, and that he's pelly if he doesn't know what his name is. This has been the news before it becomes news, as always, on the Transfer Window podcast. Please engage with us, as you always do, on our social media channels, uh, which are at Transfer Podcasts on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Duncan is on at Duncan Castles. I'm at Garbo SJ. You can also find us on YouTube. Just search at Transfer Audio Podcast and you'll find us there. We'll be back with you next week. Um, the window closes on Monday and we will do a uh, in-depth uh, analysis. Until then, stay safe, be well and thanks for listening.